with that. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One of the, and I know I say this every week, wow, this is just a great passage. This is, this is honey. This, this is fantastic. It's rich. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, if you would stand with me. We'll read God's word together. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Pray with me. Father, we praise you for this moment in history. I pray that you would help us through the eyes of faith go back to that day, to that place, to that moment where we see this miracle and all that happened afterwards. And may we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be. Today we continue with our series entitled Acts 30 Years That Changed the World. Last week we looked at chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. If you remember that amazing day that Jesus had told his disciples to wait there in Jerusalem until uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And that was on the day of Pentecost. About 120 of them received the, the Holy Spirit that day or that morning, early that morning, and then began to uh, prophesy and preach and people could hear it in their own native language because people came running from all over because they heard this loud sound like rushing waters or a loud wind. They didn't know what it was. And as they came, they heard the disciples in the church preaching, proclaiming in their various languages because they were all there for a big festival. And we see God do that amazing miracle they, they had what looked like tongues of fire over their heads. There was something visually bright about them and their countenance as they received the Holy Spirit. And then Peter got up and preached his first sermon ever. 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Now today, we're going to see 2,000 more come to Christ in the second, Peter, uh, second sermon that Peter ever preached. He must have been a good preacher, amen? 5,000 people in two sermons. That's, uh, that's tremendous. And so we're going to see that today. But specifically, I want to share with you what happened before that happened beforehand to make this sermon possible. Because had this healing not taken place, the sermon would not have an opportunity to take place. So today's message is entitled, In the Name of Jesus. In the Name of Jesus. Now, as Peter and John are going into the temple courts to pray about three in the afternoon. They had three prayer times every day, nine o'clock, noon, and 3 p.m. <clears throat> they no doubt had seen this guy many times. He was born crippled, been crippled all of his life. And we'll see just how long that was uh, in just a few minutes. They had seen this man. Everybody had seen this man many, 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 many times. 
it was an unusual day. Now this man was taken there. He was begging like always to him at that moment. He had no idea this was his last day to beg. He had no idea this is his last day to lie on the ground helpless. In fact, as we look at this, <clears throat> per usual, he asked them for money. He didn't just have a, a cup or a bowl sitting out and he's staring at the ground. The Bible says he actually asked them for money. And before we get into the miracle that happened, we have to notice without realizing it, he's actually asking the apostles the wrong question. Because the question was, can I have some money? He wanted money. He was expecting money. He was hoping for money. Not because he was greedy, certainly. Nobody gets rich as a beggar, except maybe on 820 over here. Um, only, in, only in America do people get rich begging for money. But in most of the world, that's not the case. It's a hard way to make a living. And even these guys over here on 820, do you see them in Lake Worth? We'll go through there and it's 105 degrees and they're standing out there uh, begging for money. And I'm thinking, wow, I, um, I'd find another, another thing to do or I'd go up north somewhere. So God bless them. Oh, Texas heat. But I, 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 I distracted myself there for a minute. <laughs> he was wanting money. He was expecting to receive money. And again, he wasn't doing it because he was greedy, not doing it because he was lazy. He was doing it because he was helpless. The passage tells us he couldn't even get to his begging spot without people taking him there uh, so that he could beg. Of course, what he didn't realize was he didn't need money. And if you're here today and you're flat broke and you may be thinking to yourself, I need some money. I want you to know that's not the heart of your problem. I mean, you may need some money, but that's not the, the problem itself for this man begging for money. His greatest need was not money. He wasn't there because he needed money. He was there because he was helpless. And he was helpless because he was crippled. That, that's a problem that he could not overcome. But he didn't ask anybody to heal him. He didn't look at the apostles and say, hey, I happen to be crippled for all my life. Would you mind healing me? He had given up a long time on that, uh, ago on that. He'd probably seen all the doctors and they said, you know, you're born crippled. There's no program for that in the first century. There's no institute to go to. There's no physical therapy. There are no braces to put on. There's no surgeries or surgeons that can repair all the bone damage and the muscle damage. It just wasn't going to happen. So if he ever had hopes of healing, that hope had long gone. And there was only begging. But God had greater plans for him than that. So he wasn't asking for healing. He didn't even hope that big. He was probably hungry, weak, tired, and defeated. Listen to me. He was just trying to get through the day. I know what that's like. I understand that. You understand that too. How many times in your life and how much of our life have we spent just trying to get through the day? 
That's why you spend a whopping $6 at Starbucks for a grande, grande size white chocolate mocha frappuccino with extra caramel sauce before you even get to work because you're just trying to get through the day and you need that to get through the day. Amen? Yeah, can I get a witness? <clears throat> Did you know, I'm not making this up by the way, think Wikipedia, uh, the, the source of all knowledge and truth. <laughs> The average American spends $1,100 a year on coffee. $1,100 a year. If you're in your 20s or 30s, that number goes up to over $2,200 a year on coffee or coffee products. With interest over the course of 40 years, that's $340,000. <clears> you could almost buy a house for what you spend on coffee. Why do we do that? Why don't we spend all that money? And by we, I mean you. <laughs> well, we gotta have that just to get through the day. You don't need that Krispy Kreme donut when you get to work. Why do you eat that? Nobody needs a Krispy Kreme donut. You need that sugar high, even if it only lasts for a little bit, just to get you through the day. In the United States, we spend $14 billion a year on energy drinks alone. Let me say it again, $14 billion a year on energy drinks. Why do we need that energy drink to get us through the day? That's why you check repeatedly on how many likes you got on your social media post. Emotionally, it gets you through the day. That's why you have that emergency box of chocolates in your desk to get you through the day or that bottle of prescription pills to just get you through the day or that cigarette or those illegal drugs because you just will do anything to get through the day. But listen to me, this is important. God did not create you to just get through the day. Jesus didn't die on a cross just so you can get through the day. The Holy Spirit does not indwell in you and empower you just so you can get through the day. God designed you through Christ and in the Holy Spirit to do more than just that. But we understand, do we not? how that guy felt, if I can just get through the day. Now, sometimes we may use God as no more than a spiritual cup of coffee, just a bit, one cup, not too much, just enough to get us through the day. But that's not how it's supposed to be. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus himself said it this way, that famous verse that you know so well, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Wouldn't it be odd if he said, I came that you may have life just to get you through the day? No. So what should we do? What should you and I do to change our mindset of just getting through to the day to living a life of abundance in Christ? Well, we do what the beggar did. So let's take a look. The first thing that we should do, the first thing that he did, is to get up. That's the first thing he did. He got up. Acts chapter 3, verse 8. In our passage for today, it says this. 
So Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up. And it says, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and what? Jumping and praising God. Now, <clears throat> I'm not a surgeon or a medical professional. If I need anything medical, I ask my wife. She's a nurse. I, I have no idea. I don't, she'll answer me in words and lingo and terms. I don't even know. And I'll say, honey, I don't know what that is. What, what are those words? I don't know. She knows. I don't know. But I can tell you this. In order for somebody who's born crippled to suddenly be jumping in the temple courts, something tremendous has to happen. It's not just that his bones are realigned. There, in fact, if you go to the hospital, and I've seen this so many times with members of my congregation, you have a major surgery and you're in the hospital or in, in the bed for weeks, just three or four or five weeks, your muscles just so quickly begin to atrophy. This guy has never walked a day in his life. He's got nothing. It's just skin and bone. And God miraculously recreates his legs so that he can not just inch his way up to where he can barely balance himself. He jumped up and ran into the temple courts, walking, running, and jumping. So the first thing you need to do is get up. What if he had said, you know, thank you guys. <laughs> I, I get the whole thing about Jesus. Appreciate that. Uh, I'll try it later. You know, I, in case it doesn't work, I don't want to embarrass myself. Or I have tried so many times. Guys, listen, I, I, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the cripple. It's not going to work. I'll just stay right here. Or maybe I'll think about it. I'll consider what you say. Or if he could say this, maybe he, he, he could have said this. Listen, guys, I've got a good thing going here. I've been begging for decades. I'm pretty good at it. Got my cup right here. I don't know what I would do if I could walk. I got no skills. I'm just going to stay here. Wouldn't that be bizarre? Believe it or not, sometimes we don't want to get better. We don't want to get up. We're used to not getting up in life sometimes. In the medical world, it's a psychological term called secondary gain. Have you heard that? It's a common known thing called secondary gain. According to, again, the source, Wikipedia, <laughs> secondary gain is defined as the advantage that occurs secondary to stated or real illness. That is, being sick has certain advantages. If a patient's disease allows them, and this is Wikipedia speaking, allows them to miss work, to avoid military duty, to obtain financial compensation, to obtain drugs, to avoid a jail sentence, etc., these would be considered examples of secondary gain. For instance, an individual having household chores completed by someone else because they have stomach cramps would be secondary gain. And if you have kids, you know what secondary gain is. Time to do the chore, suddenly they have the 20-minute flu, and so their brother or sister has to do the chore for them. That's secondary gain. Remember when, the Jesus, when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda? Uh, and he asked the man a question. Do you remember what the question? Jesus went up to this man, never seen him before, as far as the guy knows, 
He's never seen Jesus before. And Jesus asked him a question. You remember what the question was? He said this, do you want to be healed? Now, maybe those sitting around or even that guy thought, well, that's a dumb question. Of course I want to be healed. But I don't think Jesus asked dumb questions ever. Why did he ask that? Do you want to be healed? The man needed to hear his own voice say, yes. Yes, I'm tired of laying here. Yes, I want to be healed. Yes, I want my life to change. And until you're willing to get up, your life will never change. And so he says, get up. I once read an article that said it this way. It's fascinating that when the sick man answered Jesus, he didn't give a simple yes or no. Do you remember that? This is at the pool of Bethesda. He offered an excuse. He said this, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps in front of me. Think about it. This man has been sick for 38 years. He's comfortable in his disease by this point. He's resigned himself to being the victim and blaming others, which is what he does. He blames others for his condition. He's having a pity pool party. And I probably would too. After so many years of suffering and rejection, and the first thing he had to realize was, do you really want to get up? Do you really want to be healed? I ask you today, do you want to get up? Do you really want to be healed or do you want to live in the same thing that you've been living with for years and decades all of your life? It's a good question. Do you want to be healed? Then get up. You've been wounded by someone in the past. Do you want to be healed? Get up. Move on. Do you have a physical condition or a limitation in your life? Pray to God that God will give you strength and get up. You have something blocking you from moving forward in life, but you've had it so long that it's become a part of you. Get up. Do you want to be healed? The second thing he did was to look up. He got up. He jumped up, actually, literally jumped up. And then secondly, he looked up. Look with me in Acts chapter 3, verse 9. It says, when all the people saw him walking and what? Praising God. Now, nobody said to him, hey, let's turn to him 420 and, and sing, you know, the first, second, and fourth verses. They didn't say that. This, this is him spontaneously on his own praising God. When the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man that used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. In chapter 17 of Luke's gospel, if you remember this, so immediately this guy gives God credit. Whoever Jesus was, and we'll get to that in a bit, Jesus has changed his life. The name of Jesus has changed his life, and he's given God praise immediately. In chapter 17 of Luke's gospel, there were 10 lepers that were healed by Jesus. In fact, Jesus says to the 10 lepers, because they wanted healing, he said to the all 10, he said, I want you to go to the priest and show yourself to the priest. Because in order to be pronounced clean, the priest made that determination. Until then, you couldn't go back into town. You couldn't go back with your family. You were ostracized from all of the society. And so he said to the 10 guys, even though they still had leprosy, go ahead and go to the priest's. 
So they're on their way to the priest, still with leprosy, and on their way, Jesus heals them. Suddenly they look down and they realize their disease is gone. Their leprosy is gone. Of the 10, how many went back and thanked Jesus? One guy, one guy. And the first thing Jesus said, when the guy goes back to thank him, he said, where's the other nine? It's amazing. How much does God have to do for you and I before we will give him praise and thanks? I think you and I, and I know I probably told you this before, will be shocked on judgment day when we look at our life in its totality and realize how many blessings we never even acknowledged. How many good things, how many victories, how much forgiveness and overcoming in our life that God has pronounced on us and we didn't even look up. So the second thing we should do is to simply look up. Right now, can you see me and hear me? Look up. Did you walk in here? Look up. Have you eaten in the last 24 hours? Look up. Do you own a Bible? Look up. God has given us so many reasons to give praise to him. We should be looking up. The third thing he did was to hang on. He got up, he looked up, and <laughs> I love this part. I've read this passage multiple times before I even notice it. And it's beautiful. Look with me in Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Hang on, hang on. This is what it says. When the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, when I read this, and the reason I skipped over it so many times is I'm assuming, or I was falsely assuming, that when it says that he hung on to Peter and John, he was hanging on because of what? He needed to keep his balance. He needed some strength to stay up, but we already know that's not true. Because it says that he jumped up to his feet the moment he was healed. He went into the temple courts. He's walking. He's running. He's jumping and praising God. He doesn't need Peter. He doesn't need John or anybody else. God has fully restored him, fully healed him. And he doesn't need to hang on to anybody for that. And yet he's hanging on. Why? Well, that's where his blessing came from. <laughs> What's he going to do? Just walk off? No, he was hanging on, running, junking, praising, and hanging on because he was clinging to the source of his blessing. That was Christ and the name of Christ that was the source of his blessing, but it came through the apostles. So he's hanging on. That makes sense. Cling to your blessings. Notice he didn't go cling to the Pharisees. And the religious leaders who had walked by him for literally thousands of times over decades, and they had done nothing for him. Wouldn't it be silly if they had gone and run to the Pharisees and clung to them? He didn't do that. Notice he didn't go back to his begging spot, his familiar place that was a comfort to him probably. It was no doubt considered his special spot just for him. He didn't go back and just sit down and start begging again and say, thank you guys. Now I got work to do. I got to get back to my begging. His begging days were over. He didn't even go home. He praised God and clung to the apostles. When God does something wonderful in your life, stick with that. <laughs> Don't just dismiss it. 
Don't just give it a, a tiny glance, thank you, Lord, and move on. You stick to those blessings. You cling to them. And maybe God will give you some more. So strangely, when the beggar was healed and everybody is praising God, Peter addresses the crowd and 2,000 people get saved. That's not the strange part. Here's the strange part. Do you know what the leaders of the people did? You know what the, the Pharisees and the priests did? They freaked out. And I, can, I guess I can understand because everybody's getting saved. Everybody's becoming Christians. And they're getting saved because they're accepting the name of this guy that they just crucified just weeks before. And so it's an odd scene. And they're all in a panic because there aren't, at this rate, there aren't going to be any Jews left for very long. And so they, they don't know what to do. So they just do what all government does. They just started arresting people. <laughs> they arrested Peter and John for no reason just to arrest them. And it was getting late. So they, they put them in jail overnight. The next day, Peter then addresses the Sanhedrin. This is all the religious leaders and the leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all, all the big shots. And so he goes before the rulers and now he's got a captive audience. They think he's the captive audience because he's in chains, but it's not the case. God's got them right where he wants them. <laughs> First, uh, this is chapter four, verse eight. Again, it just gets better. I love this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, anytime it says that, you already know it's going to be good. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. That is a quote. It's a, it's a prophecy from the Old Testament. Verse 12, salvation, he says, is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men which, by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now listen to verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. <laughs> it's, it's the ultimate awkward situation because they knew the guy. Again, they'd seen him thousands of times. And they had done nothing for him. And there he is standing right in their face. What are they going to say? Verse 15, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. Now notice the man that had been healed was standing right there with them. And again, they all knew him. He didn't go home. He, this is the next day. And he didn't think, well, that was nice. I, I'm going to go start my own business. Or I'm going I'm to go order something off Amazon. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fishing. I've been wanting to go fishing. Or I'm just going to start running and see how far I can run. Maybe that's the dream. I, I would think that's a pretty good dream. He doesn't do any of those things. He comes right back to the temple area and he stands by the men. He clung to them. Because that was the source of his healing. Christ through them. 
And so he's hanging on. Listen, I don't want you to hang on through caffeine just to get through the day. God wants you to hang on to him to have victory and clean victory in your life. And I'll leave you with this. It isn't too late for you. Now, as I get older, and I've mentioned this verse to you before, but as I get older, I like it more and more. The conclusion of the, of the passage. I don't know if you remember this part. I love it. Acts chapter 4, verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God. Darn. <laughs> You know, this is the religious leaders, and they're frustrated because everybody's praising God. <laughs> and really, what, what, what is that? Uh, so, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Now, listen to this. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, what is the implication there? He's old. In fact, he's so old, I looked this up also. In the time of the New Testament, the average life expectancy was 35 to 40 years. Wow. And so when they say he was over 40, what they mean is there's no wrong, you know, if you're 105, you don't bother getting a knee replacement. Why heal this guy? He's old. He's an old dude. He's 40. <laughs> I find that interesting. So you may be thinking, well, I'm pretty much done. He was 40, I'm 60, or I'm 70, or whatever your age is, I'm pretty much done. God's not going to use me. Don't, don't know. Uh-uh. You know, there was once a story on CBS News about Cynthia Riggs, who was an 81-year-old mystery writer, and he, she owned a bed and breakfast in Martha's Vineyard. After living by herself for decades... One day, she received a strange coded note in the mail. It was coded. She was pretty sure she knew who sent the note and what the note said because she decoded it. It was, in fact, a person from her youth. It was from Howard Atterbury, a man she had worked with at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography when she was only 18, many, many, many decades earlier. So she had this job, and she met this guy there, and they had this code that they would encode their messages to each other. They could use the code as a kind of fun game to make comments about what was going on in the office. No romance ever developed between them. She had not even heard from Howard in over 63 years. The letter led to phone conversations, which led to a visit. And that one le visit led to one hour later to an engagement which led to a marriage. The bride was 81 and the groom was 91. How about that? So what did the coded note say after all those years? Uh, it said this, in code, I have never stopped loving you. He told CBS News, love is a great place to spend the rest of your life. No matter what your age or your situation, I want you to know today, God has never stopped loving you. It's not too late. It's not too late. Don't sit there thinking, my health isn't good enough. I'm not educated enough. 
or I have this problem or that problem or I don't have enough money or enough of this or there's too much water in the bridge or I've done this or I've done that. Listen to me. God has never stopped loving you and it is not too late. It may not be easy for you, but in the name of Jesus, get up, look up, hang on, because it's not too late for God to work in your life. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this beautiful story. How magnificent, how powerful. Oh, that we could be there and see what you did on that day. But we also acknowledge that you were the God then and you're the same God today. Your power then is the same power today. Your mercy in their lives and the lives of this cripple is the same mercy manifest in our life. So in the name of Christ, when you call us to get up, Father, may today be the day that we leap to our feet and we get up from our misery, our complaining, our problems, our doubts. It's time to get up. There's something that's been blocking us from our past and we just wallow in that misery. It's time to get up. Father, there are so many miracles you do in our life, so many blessings. Oh, you're so good to us. We need to spend more time looking up, praising you. How absurd it would have been, how obscene for this man to have been healed and never once gave you thanks like those nine lepers. But he didn't. Jumped up, ran through the temple courts, and he's having a worship service. As you remember well, he's giving you glory. Father, may we look up today pour our hearts to you and say thank you. Maybe we get on our knees before you today and say, God, thank you. I've got a brain to think. I've got eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mouth to speak. Thank you. I've got a lot of problems in my life, but I got a God who loves me. Thank you. I have so many needs, but so many times in the past, you have provided and provided and provided. Thank you. You've given me family and friends and hope and joy. Thank you. You have given me your word that I can open at any time I want and read. Thank you. You've given me the knowledge of the salvation that comes only through the name of Jesus. Thank you. Help us to look up. Now, Father, help us also to hang on. Some of us have, have grown tired and we're no longer hanging on. We just don't realize it. You have blessed us in so many ways and we just dismiss it. We forget all about it. We have this kind of spiritual amnesia and we need to hang on. We need to cling to those blessings and to that joy we have in Jesus Christ. May we hang on today. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you? Maybe you just want to come and get on your knees during this time of invitation and say, God, thank you. I'm looking up. I'm hanging on. And maybe God has blessed you with something specific and you know what it is or who it is. And you want to say, God, thank you. Maybe God has done something truly miraculous in your life and you know what that is. And you need to look up. It may have been yesterday. 
It may have been 30 years ago. It's never too late to give God praise. So I want to come and get on your knees and say thank you. Maybe God is calling you to make a public decision today. You want to surrender your life to Christ. And the salvation that came to that man and the joy that came to that crippled man can come to you right here, right now, today. Just come up and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. You want to serve him faithfully here. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to become members. Or you just want to come and pray and thank God. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. It's your opportunity to worship and to respond. No one's looking around. As you continue to pray, would you stand? Everyone stand. All heads are bowed.